Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards never agreed to. Tonight, well, we've talked about Hellraiser, we've talked about Candyman, now it's time to talk about Clive Barker's X-Men. That's right, it's Nightbreed. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? What an amazing Morlocks movie. <laughs> It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, uh, that'll come up in, it's in my recap. Uh, I mean, I don't know why they replaced Callisto with fusion dance, time traveling, David Harbor, David Boreanaz combo man. <laughs> tell me sure he's have not the storm of this movie. Tell me like... he. Tell me that guy does not look like David Boreanaz and David Harbor got into David Cronenberg's The Fly Chamber and fused into one handsome man. Which. <laughs> Which character are you referring to here? Uh, Aaron Boone. Oh, that's the, the, oh, yeah, okay, okay. I was like, Aaron Boone, tell me Aaron Boone is not just like David Boreanaz and David Harbour did a fusion dance. He looks like he came off of uh, Clive Barker's fireman calendar, honestly. There's a lot of characters in this movie that look like they've done a fusion dance. (laughs) And and, uh, Boone in this movie also looks like he could have been the stunt double for the guy in the Take On Me music video. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's a good call. When we have Aaron Boone, which, by the way, is so fucking distracting and is going to continue to be distracting because it's the same name as the current manager of the New York Yankees. (laughs) How do we know it's not the same person? Right? Remember the breed. breed. You know what? He's an okay manager. One in 2009 hasn't done much since then. Um, (laughs) So, next up, my frequent collaborator and comics artist and certified revenge aficionado, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm I'm one with the breed tonight. I am becoming. Yeah. And our special guest tonight, Eisner and Glad nominee and Ringo winner, the writer of She Said Destroy and Beckstar, and the editor of Kim and Kim, Mine, Deadbeats, Deadbeats 2, London Calling, and Lost on Planet Earth, it's Joe Corallo. Joe, how are you? I'm all right. How's everyone here? Good. 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 Awesome. We watched a movie whose reach exceeded its grasp. I love this movie, (laughs) despite all its faults. Its its length maybe exceeded its grasp as well. There's a lot of things that exceeded the grasp, but, um, you know, this is a college try. Look, this is a movie that in trying to merge like 80s slashers with 80s fantasy uh, movies is something unlike anything I've personally ever seen. Did it fully succeed at, at it? Uh, debatable. And we probably will debate its merits, but sure. I sure do appreciate that it is unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. It, it's one of the handful of movies that Clive Barker directed as well as wrote, um, along with the original Hellraiser and Lord of Illusions. Um, well, yeah, Lord oh. of Illusions, weird movie. There's a lot in this movie that had me going like, oh, Clive Barker directed this, you say. Mm. Oh, my God. There were mm. there were so many moments throughout this movie where I was like looking at shots, like particularly 
um, you know, down in the underground, we're going to get to all that, but where you're just looking at the shots and going like, oh man, if there was like another director on this, this might be gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, technically it's gorgeous, another director. This does, this does star Craig Schaefer, who we talked about being gorgeous. Uh, also, yes. Ann Bobby, who, um, I don't know, to me feels wildly miscast in this movie. And then our recurring villain of this this podcast, for some reason, we have not covered a movie with him as a director, but this is the second time he's shown up as an actor, David Cronenberg. Who oh, yeah. is so good in this movie. Yeah, he is the shining star of this movie. I don't know if he yeah. would have, if he was like somehow doing any sort of directive work if that would have done anything for the movie because david cronenberg is definitely this is not where he what he directs other than like the flesh stuff yeah but um he he was so good him and um uh was it uh hugh quarry butchering his name um you know captain panaka Oh, oh yeah Quarshi, Quarshi, yeah yeah uh, the two of them their chemistry whenever they're together which happens a handful of times in the movie desperate like it just made me want a movie of like them yeah like get, do some sort of like hannibal type movie it's with, all like, there those two. this setup is all there <laughs> yeah it just come in from like angel heart and they're so- like I'm glad we're already ready to start the tangent. To what degree do we feel that Hannibal was directly inspired by Nightbreed? <laughs> uh, well, I just as much as, you know, anything else, Clive Barker. I mean, if we, Hannibal did have the stag man, but I really want to talk about how Nightbreed has everything. Like, the whoever did the concept design for this movie, I can't, I did not look that up. I'm so sorry. Uh, but whoever you all are, fuck yes because this movie is like every background character is so incredible um and that's what really makes it for me but let's let's talk about what happens in this movie they were like it took me a solid 40 minutes to understand what this movie was (laughs) i i got two minutes in and i'm like okay this is clive barker's pokemon (laughs) throw all the monsters sure and then i got 40 minutes and i realized like Oh, this is Clive Barker's Hellraiser Animal Crossing AU fic. <laughs> I'm not sure I follow. No, I, I, I gotta say, I, I made the comparison of this being of Cl- this being Clive Barker's X Men, but also Clive Barker's X Men is like, oops, all night crawlers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god can we get that serious who do we touch at the pitch oops all night crawlers i think it's being filmed right now i heard about it it's called night breed the series which you know watch out for that in some time that it may exist we're not sure that's yeah, that's krakoa's new serial oops all night crawlers yeah, it, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's all of them look like demons and have complicated relationships with religion uh yeah so we've got like they're, the, they're all night crawlers we've got the xenobite-esque like oh, like we're all torture demons and we do monsters and we have satanic illusions, blah, blah, blah. We're the monsters. But also we're just going to hang out in our village and maybe you can build a cafe. And I don't like if Neil Saban wrote Mortal Kombat. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're all Mortal Kombat characters. So that's where I'm getting my Hellraiser Animal Crossing mix. Neil Gaiman. Okay. If, if Neil Gaiman wrote Mortal Kombat, it would be K O M B A T T E, right? Like, 
just... with an umlaut. Yeah. So, <laughs> I will say before we dive in, that's probably my biggest like legit problem with the movie is that it feels like it doesn't truly know how it's treating like the monsters of Minia. Like you can't tell if these are like though if this is like the world of the darkest, most violent horrors brought to like carnal delights, or if they're just a town full of misunderstood people who are innocent and just just so defenseless, can't do nothing for themselves. I mean, I think that there's a that there this movie okay, hold, as we hold on before we get too deep into this. Let's let's get the rest <laughs> of our intro stuff out of yes. the way. Our, our what's it about is a troubled young man is drawn into a mythical place called Midian, uh, where a variety of friendly monsters are hiding from humanity. Meanwhile, a sadistic serial killer is looking for a patsy. Yeah, and that sums it up. It's just disconnected to set sounds. Um, do you guys think this is spoopy as in not scary, spooky as in a little scary, terrifying as in very scary, or just generally existentially disconcerting? Existentially confusing? The uh, the spookiness, it's definitely spooky. Like, it's a very, very moody film. And it is that exact kind of, like, moody and atmospheric that I love. The, um, there, the existentially disconcerting part happens in the second hour. And I think is the entire second hour of yeah. the film. Which involves uh, brutal and uh, unreasonable force uh, from law enforcement. Turns out it's... The real villain was a militarized police. Do you, which, think, yeah. that, do you think this would have been uh, more or less blunt if they just played David Bowie's I'm Afraid of America over the top of this scene? Like, well, that's the other thing. It takes place in fucking Calgary. <laughs> yeah. Like, when I first saw this police station of flamethrowers and mortars, I didn't think twice. And I was like, yeah, America. But then I remembered Canada. I'm like, what the fuck was going on with police in 1990s Canada that they had flamethrowers and mortars? Ex- exports. Well, speaking oh, of that, uh, the, the trigger warnings for this, there is quite a bit of gaslighting. Uh, there are a lot like, of bad police. Yeah. There's lots of psychological abuse and manipulation. Uh, boy, does Clive Barker have an issue with doctors. Um <laughs> And, and there's that a lot one of doctor was okay. Well. We get some good old fat. We get uh, trigger warnings again. There is sexual assault in the movie, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and uh, no real way to sugarcoat this. Uh, attempted gem- genocide is oh, yeah. pretty clearly evoked. Oh, and there's also gore and body horror, but it is a Clive Barker movie, so yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, but uh, yeah. in terms of it being like, like, yeah, kind of building on what y'all were saying, like, uh, it's. There, there's the existential horror bits and, and it's uh it, it leans on on more spoopy for for a lot of it until david cronenberg's like gutting people and and then yeah. it goes back to being spoopy for a bit but the part of this uh which um we, we were kind of burying the lead here a little bit is the score is done by danny elfman yes and 1990 batman asked danny elfman did yeah. anyone else feel that the songs were swelling and amazing and so rarely fit the tone of the scene? I didn't yeah, think it was, it was like 50% of the time yeah. that they were. That... I, I remember, especially the intro, it's like horror, scary monsters. And it's like, this is some Indiana Jones adventure shit playing. Well, and, and the other big movie that Danny Elfman did the score the year this came out was Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah. He was busy. 
So it was, um, you know, so I think... Um, you can't pay the bills just with Oingo Boingo. It's true. So what, what God, you're looking that's at right. here is Danny Elfman <laughs> scored a couple of I, arguable misfires uh, in, in but, 1990. But also Batman. Okay. Also, yeah. every time I remember that Danny Elfman was an Oingo Boingo, I react like it's I'm hearing it for the very first time. <laughs> It's a, it's such a schism. Also, I mean, if we're going to be talking about Danny Elfman schisms, I'm just going to say the Forbidden Zone, uh, that where he plays the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, I don't know if I can. There's that. It sounds like you're unquestionably recommending it. Like anybody I, should see it, whoever no, they are. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe this film other well, than that. It's keeping with the theme of the night, I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's continue on with other undescribable films, such yeah, as so this one. We now we can sort of jump into the spoilery section because, guys, I have a question. Do you prefer uh, David Cronenberg in Blood and Donuts as Canadian Carmine Falcone, or in this movie as Canadian Hugo Strange? Uh, the latter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in Blood and Donuts, it's more just baffling that he's there at all, and also. <laughs> The baffliness is compounded by the choice of bowling alley. <laughs> Playing a Canadian crime boss who was headquartered in a bowling alley. Yes, very. Like, here, like, he's legitimately very good. Sure. Like, he's yeah. got that, like, that dead, vo- like, the dead, even-keeled voice. Like, that mask is so fucking creepy. Like, he's like, he's like he is by far, like, the scariest thing in this whole movie. Yeah, and, like... He's also in his own movie. There's a yeah. lot of movies that are happening in this movie. Would they you don't... say that the real monster of this movie was man? Well, yeah, Fair. and editing, but like, <laughs> yeah. and cops. Yeah, well, yeah, um, cops that edit man. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm worried that's going to be the next PR spin. Like, it wasn't an officer involved shooting; they just edited that man. <laughs> I mean, that's that now we're back into existentially terrifying. But so, okay, this movie has a real problem with that kitchen sink. That said, I am here for everything. This movie is a hoarder and I am overwhelmed, but intrigued. I'm not sure what it all means, but I know it's important to somebody. And that in and of itself communicates something to me that I identify with. Um, I I wish that gayer because... Boone is just like closeted gayness metaphor, the character. Oh, yeah. But Cronenberg yeah. serial killer takes so much screen time that I feel like there's so much to Boone that really goes on unexplored. And there's like gay shit happening all over the place. Sure. I knew um, I realized the movie, like the choices it was going to be making eight minutes in when we have him well well openly spot welding with a jacket barely like zipped up a quarter of the way shirtless <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah. we also see like the movie opens with like a pride parade like it's it's a pride parade going through the bushes but like i don't know i mean in san francisco certainly we have plenty of porcupine chicks and they're cool um and i i you know I they were more of an oakland thing Oh, well, I mean, San Francisco is where everybody like comes together, mm. um, so to speak. But um, 
I mean, the porcupine... day, though, because no one can fucking afford to live there. Yeah, no, <laughs> like the po- the porcupine chicks live in in well, they're more like Lafayette, like they're up in the hills. But um, anyway, yeah. So okay, let's let's get into the plot of this a little bit. We start with uh, Aaron Boone is having bad dreams about weird monsters. Uh, Boone has a supportive, self-identified lover, not girlfriend, not fiance, but when they ask who she is to him, she's she tells the doctor, lover, uh, Lori. Um, Lori, uh, are we sure that's not her last name? Like, my name's like lover, Lori lover. Her name is Lori Winston. Oh, that's so much worse. You should change her name to be Lori Lover. She's no, the only person in this not called by her last name for some reason. She also uh, is, well, I don't know if it's an homage to Stan Winston, but every time I saw the name Winston and I was in this movie, I'm like, yes, Win- there should be Winstons everywhere. Man, remember there he is. The- there he is. Why do we have the weird subplot where she befriends drunken bar lady? Cheryl Ann, who deserved better. Who deserved better. We get so much information on Cheryl Ann's off-screen, like, romance. There are, there, characters have arcs on screen that are, like, five minutes total, and they're very, they're engaging, but they're like, but I, oh, now they're dead. There's or, a whole Thelma and Louise-style plot that comes and goes in about six minutes in this film. Yeah. Right? But there's also, as we're, we're talking about the names before we get too far away from that, um, David Cronenberg's character oh, yes. is just a, a Philip K. Dick reference and Blade Runner reference. It's Philip, Philip K. Deckard. Or Decker, you know, it's like clearly. Wow, this sounds yeah. like that sounds like some for. first draft stuff. Like I'll go in and put in a different name later. That's not as clearly a reference to this thing. <laughs> he like and looks yeah. over and he's like, "Whoa, okay, what am I gonna Android stream? Okay, uh, Philip K. Decker. All right, and then he's going to be hanging out with uh Stan Winston. Oh fuck, um, <laughs> Peter Lorre. Uh, no, uh, Lori Winston. Okay, um, and then he's. And then Aaron, uh, I don't know. I. Just... <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, oh, Aaron man. Lovecraft. Wait, no shit. Okay. <laughs> we we do get some good villains. We have Charles Hayde, who, despite being awful, in who despite his character Captain Agerman being awful, uh, Charles Hayde seems awesome, if only because his Wikipedia page is him, like image is him on st- at the writers' strike picketing with a sign. Oh, nice. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Now we also have in the cast of in the in the plethora of monsters that we have in this movie, many of whom are supporters of the uh, like they're, they're recurring characters. Um, we have Doug. I think it's Doug Bradley. Doug Bradley. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Himself. Yeah. And then Simon Bamford. So we have two out of the four Cenobites. Um, and I got to admit, he. Clive Barker sure found a way to make Pinhead sound like super terrifying. He does not pull off the same for Dirk Lyselberg. <laughs> yeah, the, the Nightbreed Elder. Name the the names in this are very strange because, yeah. um, as we will find out shortly, uh, Aaron is having dreams about Midian, which is the which is a land under the ground, uh, which we find out later is is under. Uh, cemetery where the night breed live uh, it's also a biblical reference to the place Moses goes off to when he is you know, in self-exile from Egypt mm-hmm. um, 
I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Like, I, it, you know, it seems like a pretty okay place in in the Bible until God's like, hey man, you gotta like leave all this comfort and go go back to uh, freeing your people. No burning bushes in this movie, as far as I can remember. I guess. Uh, I mean, I guess the just, entire Midian burns, but I mean, I guess it's easier when you just have Baphomet the. Is he a statue? Like, what is Baphomet supposed to be in this movie? It's Baphomet. Baphomet. Which it's is Canadian important. pronunciation. Well, Goddamn funny. Montreal Devils. Okay, so Philip K. Decker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> psychiatrist. Yes. Um, he calls Boone, tells him to come into his office, because he has important information for him, namely that Boone is a serial killer and he doesn't know that. Uh, <laughs> wait a second Decker could that doing... could that mean that decker was the serial killer in the previous scene who murdered that family no way yeah, decker's like, decker's like yeah, hey decker murdering that family so i can let you know that you're a serial killer i did some research just just so you know you were having weird dreams before remember like six months ago you haven't heard from me in a while but before when you had those weird dreams it was because you were murdering uh these 12 people in particular i figured it out well again that's another issue i have with the movie again how it feels like stuff with boone in particular is unexplored like we're just told over the phone by a super unreliable narrator it's like oh yeah you have bad dream you have had like you're you're all fucked in the head you got issues uh you're you're all broken brained uh again this is me using decker's official doctor psychologist talk very official terms. Yes. Um, like yeah, well, we're just told very briefly about these issues, about the way that Boone feels out, doesn't feel right in society, and wants to be with the Nightbreed. And again, we're not given; we're given so little of his life beforehand. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know, we're, we we're just not shown any of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say though okay. that. If I was having weird dreams for months and I got called into an office and David Cronenberg was there, finding out that I'm a serial killer would be like a best case scenario. Like, oh, thank God. It's not something worse than that. Oh, yeah. It's That's... like, oh, I, I don't like He's not gonna pull have a, video a tape weird... out of my chest. Yeah. <laughs> Before that, though, I think we get the most unrealistic uh, scene in the whole movie, which is where Boone and Lori just full on dry hump in the middle of what I guess is a welding factory, and none of these men comment on any of it. They they stay completely silent and focused on their work while these two people just full on dry, like practically like get so close to full on fucking in the middle of the workplace. Maybe this is like the. 37th or 38th time they've done this and like people are just like whatever maybe boone killed them (laughs) well you know and bobby is clearly an irresistibly sexual rock star in this movie with her Um, triangular hair (laughs) with her triangular hair (laughs) looking like uh looking like a character from doug um (laughs) like she just—it's yes. such a weird casting job because, especially as fucking Boone looks like he looks at the beginning, he looks like he came out of a fireman's calendar, and then he turns into a monster, which means he just gets an allergy to shirts. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Boom becomes a monster, but only in that way that you like get a few lines on your face and get hotter and sex and like you're a monster, but it's so such a fuckable monster. I mean, he's he is a Clive Barker fuckable monster. We're not talking about like the most fuckable monsters. We're not talking about like Guardians of the Galaxy fuckable monsters here. No, but, like it's especially noticeable. Where it's like, hey, here's all these crazy designs and prosthetics and makeup oh, yeah. jobs. And you're going to be like that CW Beauty and the Beast where you just got like glowy eyes and some lines on your face. And ah, it's the Beast. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, especially since like his buddies, his advocates are like Mac tonight. And then the dude with like all of his fucking skin peeled off. And it's, it's yeah, just like watching Hellraiser. It's very clear that Clive Barker is gay because like his his super like what? his men's like you have you have Frank in Hellraiser who's like he's not a particularly attractive man but he is like a sex man it's the he's, vibe he's very sexual <laughs> he's the got a sex no, 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 vibe no, 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 sex man <laughs> yeah he's got a vibe and then he's like and also Julia who's like a stepmom like she's Ew. she's got a real uh, not into it energy <laughs> until like, yeah. that's what she does. And, and when you so look at the... Julia gets the sequel. And with the dynamic here between Boone and um, Decker, it very much has that feel of Decker is this like represents this kind of older upper middle class gay man who didn't have the luxury of pursuing who he was, who resents Boone for being uh, at a point in his life where he can explore that and that part of this journey that Decker's on um, to, to either get there or to, de- or to destroy Boone, like, because that whole journey ends up being like, I need to destroy Boone. And then it turns into, I need to wipe out the, this whole movement that's I'm not allowed in. Like, like there's a lot to read into there. Yeah, well, especially since his name is Decker and he is a monster that hunts monsters. He's also, he's and, also, you know, as talks specifically to... about killing Sorry, breeders, yeah. people who breed. Like, he, he just has this like picture of some people as being disgusting, and those people don't deserve to breed, they don't deserve to exist. And no, like, I interpret he very he specifically is, he has thinks... a thing against the night breed everybody, yeah. like anything that isn't him, and maybe including him. Yeah. Is dirty yeah. and shouldn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think there's anyone in Decker's in group. I gotta say that the, there, with the situation with Decker and um, Boone, feels like there's a little bit of history with Boone. Like, not just Boone's weird, like, nightmares, but like that Boone has been a criminal or something. Like, he, he needs this really important high-end uh psychologist to you know keep him under control or whatever like there's a there is a a really heavy subtext of a of you know the kind of relationship between them that is not just like i have weird dreams you know i mean maybe that's also uh decker trying to uh insinuate himself into aaron boone's life because he knows he has this connection to the nightbreed um i mean i will say i'm not a psychologist and maybe this is a sign that i shouldn't be a psychologist 
But if I was a psychologist and I had a client who just came in and for an entire fucking hour did nothing but describe their dreams to me, I'd be like, yeah, fuck this person. Let's frame him for some murder. This is <laughs> if I have to hear one more goddamn dancing monster dream for an hour, I'm going to lose it. Listen, I, I don't the, the whole relationship between the two of them is just confusing to me because it starts with like him and Lori in the bedroom and then Aaron is like, oh, yeah, my psychologist who's been missing and I haven't heard from for six months has really been calling me a bunch because he has something he wants to tell me. It's like, what kind of relationship is that with a psychologist where they just like disappear for six months and then just keep calling you when they come into town just because they like have something really important to tell you? Let me tell you, well, maybe it's Canada and the fact that they have socialized health care, but like, I know I have to call a lot of people in order to get in touch with a psychologist you know it does not work the opposite way this is an example of you know where um if they just cut some of that out it could have just been you, you don't even have to say how long it's been or that it keeps calling it could be like oh my psychologist is calling about the results and like yeah that's that's enough that's that's less confusing than giving us that additional information. Yeah, because like he's also like, you have to come here right now, and it's in the middle of the night, and it's like, uh, what? Excuse me, what? And then like David Cronenberg's like, yeah, I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, I need you to come to my crazy office with fucking murals of box steps on the wall and like whatever the fuck this dude is up to. <laughs> um, go come to the Gremlins too. Uh, set and then we'll uh, we'll talk right now. Um, <laughs> like this movie that, could abuse some of those sets, but yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it had plenty of sets. Let me <laughs> tell you, so many sets. <laughs> yeah, this. So Boone goes to Decker. Decker informs him that he's a serial killer and he doesn't know, and gives him some medicine, and says he's going to have to tell the police about him, and then just lets him go. Um, I don't really understand how any of that is supposed I'm to work. I'm still trying to piece yeah. together what was Decker's plan here? Because I get the idea of, okay, the cops are on to me, which I just inferred was never actually established. Uh, so I'm going to like gaslight one of my patients into taking the fall. Yeah, I get that. Like, I'm going to frame one of my patients for my murders because I know I can manipulate their vulnerable mental state to do the gaslighting. Yeah. And that's yeah. the movie by itself. But then there's this other yeah. level of him trying to manipulate Aaron Boone in order to reveal himself as a member of the night breed in order to lead them to Midian, which well, does he know Midian until Boone like leave like is dead until like I, no, he I don't think he thinks it's a real place. Well, he's been he's been hunting the breed this whole time. Like this is a thing. Is his his job to hunt the breed? Is it, I thought he was just a serial killer, and then Boone like, and then like he discovered the night breed through like this hunt of slash framing of Boone. Joe, you look he, like you have an idea here. Yeah, it's what what I gathered based on the limited information we were given as members of the audience. Yes. Whereas that he initially just wanted to frame Boone. And the whole point was, you know, like, you have to turn yourself in. In 24 hours, I'm doing you a favor, or else I'm going to have to call the cops to... And that, and that was going to take care of things. He was going to 
go turn himself in. He was going to corroborate that as a psychologist. But then he realized, oh, he's going to try to go to Midian. And that's when, you know, he tried to get rid of him before that. But then it turned out he got the immortality from being part of, you know, the, yeah, the breed. Yeah, the, the immortality? Right. That's okay, yes. when yeah. he switched gears and was like, I don't he... have to do that anymore. I, I'm going to find out what to do to get that, like, immortality and find out what to do to take out the rest of the breed. And then I'm going to be this, like, great immortal that, you know, will be able to continue being a, a crazy serial killer and not have to worry about that. And but he was he just a normal just... serial killer. And then he got this inspiration to genocide. He was like, oh, I could genocide all of these people. Like, like uh, but I want to know what, like... In Decker's ideal scenario, like, what was plan A that Decker, like, <laughs> how did Decker, like, really, I'm just trying to ask, why did he give Boone LSD? I, uh, yeah. what was that? Sub- he already had Boone deadass convinced he was a serial killer. Mm. And then Boone was like, yeah, I'll take as much lithium as you want. Yeah, he's like, take these pills. And then Boone's I, like, I will take all of them. Don't understand mm-hmm. what was supposed to happen. with you. Was he supposed to get hit by a truck? Was Deck, Was that Decker's plan? I mean, I Boone assume, will I take Boone LSD, then get hit by so truck? crazy that the cops picked him up. And then, you know. Decker could walk in and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's my patient. He's definitely a serial killer. I will tell you that for free. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was to, yeah, do that, make him, like, because even if he, even hypothetically, if he didn't take the pills, if he turned himself in, the police would have been like, why do you have all this LSD on you? Like, (laughs) you know, it's in a prescription bottle. Yeah, Uh, it's like, you got... Or just Decker just know it is like if I give him a bottle, he's gonna take all that shit at once. Yeah. Do you think okay. the bottle actually says LSD on it and he just didn't read it? Mm. Probably well, it's it started with L and he's like, okay, whatever. Well, I like that. Well, I like that thought because that that implies you can just go to your local Canadian like Calgary pharmacy and get LSD. Social Boone, Boone does have medicine. mad himbo vibes. I feel like this is not oh, yeah. Oh, Not Boone is such thing. a himbo. Oh, oh my god. Oh, 150%. Boone, Absolutely. okay, I take the vow to be completely away from human society. I must go back to human society in literally three seconds. Because of girl. I guess. Yeah, yeah. so I just gotta be like, we're, we're talking a lot about things that we're really confused about right now, but I have to be like, cons- like, I have to say, okay, so what happens real quick Boone goes to Cronenberg. Cronenberg's like, you fucked up and you're serial killer and take the lithium and stuff. And then Boone goes home, takes a lithium, quote unquote, quote unquote, lithium, hallucinates that he's banging his, uh, banging Lori. Watching himself banging his. Yeah, he's mostly watching himself in his own under, in his underwear. So like that's, there's that. But, um, gets hit by a truck. directed this, you say. (laughs) <laughs> what yeah. no okay and he, then burns he, evidence. he burns the evidence like including his passport what who is he, he goes I don't to the club to see his girlfriend singing yeah he goes to his club and sees his, in twin peaks to see his girlfriend oh singing. my god i forgot about the singing i forgot about the girlfriend is a singer subplot yeah and she's singing to a bunch of cowboys that have no rhythm 
they're white. I, I, you know, is that's it just me that is red. And Bobby here. Does anybody else feel like they cast a Marcy as a peppermint patty? Like it just. Yeah. It, no, it just yeah. feels I, yeah. weird. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's really weird. Like she's very like I don't know. Like I would keep thinking Twin Peaks when I look at her because she's she's very much a silhouette. And then you know she has some other stuff going on, but she's mostly like I guess I'll with do a sweater. Like yeah, and a cool butterfly pin, which becomes important later. So does it okay? Yeah, because what does Pelican it? Pelican puts it in his in his nipple or whatever. I don't know. Anything that Pelican does is important. Okay, he's my favorite, except he's not. <laughs> he's, but he's certainly the growliest of the monsters i love talk about now he's the fuckable monster but i'm getting okay i'm getting sidetracked so he goes to the club and he gets hit by a truck and then he shows up in the hospital and at the hospital there's a dude there it's like my midian and the dude's like and 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 aaron's like what what midian i thought that was my thing and the guy's like i'm just talking about midian maybe i don't know but um oh you're a breed too and aaron's like okay and then the guy's like i even though the the uh nurses went through all your shit um i have these two knife rings that i'm gonna use to peel off my skin right now what fucking hospital let this man keep his thumb razors yeah so dude like socialized bonkers socialized i guess i mean where did he even get thumb razors oh it's fucking bonkers a guy that looked that crazy it would be weird if he didn't have thumb razors like Yeah, his shirt was fucking fly though. Okay, so then he gets he gets his thumb razors and he starts peeling off his skin and people are like, "Aaron, what'd you do?" And he's like, Literally, "Who has yeah, the fucking I don't razor?" Know how they blamed him for that? He was like, "Aaron has the like." They're like, "Aaron, what do you do?" Like, like you said, and he has the biggest like. I was just standing here. Yeah, energy. as dude is peeling off his own face with his own weapon that is attached to his own body and they're like like what about aaron, aaron makes you think he's let's say he is violent what about aaron makes you think he is psychologically violent i mean okay oh, yeah. look at look at this master himbo manipulator we, we there is one thing we i just have to backtrack on because it's such a great cronenberg moment is when he first has Boone in and reveals that he's a serial killer, he shows him all the pictures and says, like, oh, this is exactly what you described in your dreams. So, like, I was gone for six months murdering people just like you (laughs) described to me. (laughs) Like, he literally killed that family and other people to make, to just, like, based on his dreams, to be like, oh, I see. That, I'm gonna have to find a house that looks like that with a family like that and murder them. Yeah, so, I, I like this because presumably Cronenberg was just sitting around for years being a psychologist, just waiting for the day when he got a patient that he's like, Yes, finally one I can frame for murder. Well, I'm going, I'm taking a six month sabbatical, I'm yeah. living my yeah, best that's life. Fair, yeah. No, this there's dude no, is like no indication that Boone isn't. It is his first person that he hasn't like that he's framed for murder yeah him and hannibal like he's got a hannibal thing going on but we actually like it's weird because boone's character is so like all over the place where you know with hannibal he's like mess hmm and then you know i eat a man and then cool and then like hannibal his character is presented whereas decker is like yeah um 
I did this thing and then I'm going to do this other thing. And I'm, and at some point I'm going to reveal my, my motivation, but it's also very nebulous, even though I say exactly what it is, but then now it just makes everything more confusing. Yeah. So thumb razor man who cuts off his own face or cuts off everything but his own face. It's confusing. Yeah. Um, he is another example of like this movie trying to do so much to the point of inconsistent like when we first meet him he is someone that would not be out of place in a hellraiser movie mm-hmm. he is like yeah. full-on these are monsters this is horror only the worst like kinds of killers and people that want to be monsters like can become nightbreed and i'm now going to do the most like gruesome thing in the whole movie yeah and then next time we see him he's a monster just casually doing an old sexual assault and then for the rest of the movie, he is Boone's wacky sidekick. Yeah. It's uh, he, weird. I'm glad that he's not Boone's advocate, though. Um, you know, Mac tonight seems a lot more uh, moral. Who was his ad? Who was f- fucking face man's advocate? Who was I don't like, know. yeah, this guy's got thumb razors. Let him in. I mean, there it was probably Palakin because, you know, him. He's well, OK, so. So, OK, so they. They blame Boone is for Palakin. cutting off his own face. Pelican's the guy we're going to see him in the next bit because then Boone is now, at first I thought this was a dream sequence, but now he's actually driving to Twin Peaks. Just kidding. It's Midian. And he goes to Midian. Yeah, he had directions to Midian from, uh, from, from your boy, Narcissa. Uh, yeah. Very vague directions. I'm guessing this is a part of Canada where there's just not much shit because he's like north of this one town and also west of another town. And it's like, oh, okay. I can find the one road that leads to a weird graveyard in the middle of nowhere. That's fine. Um, well, everything around there is like super crazy names. Like there's, you know, the the in at the crossroads is I don't know what the fuck, but yeah. So, anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. I just wrote that off as like, yeah, I guess that's just how they do things in Calgary. Um, yeah, Boone gets to Midian, wanders into uh, a tomb, immediately encounters several monsters, uh, almost immediately is surprised that there are monsters there in this place that he knew there would be monsters and wants to run away. Also, he wants to be one of them uh, simultaneously as if, as if there was, as if we didn't have enough of a metaphor for uh, like coming out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I'm disgusted by you, but also I want to be one of you. It's so blatant, which is why I (laughs) wish that Boone was just a more explored and shown and developed character. So the the monster that bites him is Palakine, who is the most fuckable of the monsters, aside from Porcupine Girl. Who is the one that only speaks in like sassy gay best friend 90s movie one-liners? That's Narcissa. Or maybe <laughs> that's Palakine. You know, the one who's like, there goes the neighborhood. Oh, that's a <laughs> tummy, the- tummy tentacle man. <laughs> that's his, tummy tentacle his official man. name. Tommy Tummy Tum- Tentacles what i call him i don't know if he has a name um he's also uh he's in a relationship with the blue devil um i and it's true and no one no one can refute it man we've got more logic of blue devils like man this is a regular old marvel dc crossover oh yeah (laughs) okay so blue devil and the morlocks the crossover everyone wants right now the thing is that the scene where palakine bites um boone and is like 
everything's true. Oz is over the rainbow. Jesus was an astronaut. And the Midian is where the mom is like, he's so he's fucking quipping. He's got the best quotes in the whole movie, this dude. And then uh, this is the the David Bowie song. Yeah. And then he um, I mean, he's quoting other shit. I mean, but like he's still I mean, his voice is really great, too. And then but that scene is depicted on a mural that shows up as as a plot device multiple points in the movie and the 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 image on the mural is incredibly romantic where he's like holding Boone and Boone is like oh you know and like he like they're in a fucking tango or whatever and there's like the bite on uh, like the sensual bite mark on you know in the in the mural it's not very sensual in real life but um and the mural he's like you know, back in like shirtless in the arms of the shirtless Palakin who has like his cool spike dreadlocks and shit. Um, what I'm trying to say here is it's pretty gay. Yeah. Also, I, when, when they walk to the cemetery there before Midian, and this pops up a few times, or maybe I'm insane, but <laughs> wasn't it like a still of like, it was like a bitmap painting? It was absolutely it was a, a map painting. painting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. That's and the thing. You- I do yeah. feel like your earlier Bowie uh, reference that was warranted because I feel like there's no way this w- movie to some degree wasn't Clive Barker watching Labyrinth and going, I'm going to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Labyrinth and going, not gay enough. <laughs> <laughs> so he like uh, he goes to the, the studio and he's like, so I would like Labyrinth, but gayer and slightly more violent, less music. <laughs> Oh my god, if they had like a you know dance magic dance kind of number, mm. that really would have like tied a nice little bow on this movie. I mean that Honestly, movie would have been four hours should long. have danced. <laughs> like at a certain point, once you realize they weren't like this big scary monsters. I think it's when Boone had to show up and be like, You monsters, you monster shit. Yeah, no, that like half Bye. the time. We- we see these monsters, they're like in fucking Night on Bald Mountain being like, oh, and they're like dancing and being like, woo, woo, and like. At the very least, it should have been like when Rose goes to see like the peasant class and dances with the poor people in Titanic. <laughs> I, I just, mean, now I just want a Hellraiser musical. So thanks for that, guys. Um, I think there you make it your wish, but um, I would not be at all surprised. But okay, okay, so this is where he then, uh, after discovering that the monsters he's come to find are monsters, he uh, runs away out of the cemetery where all of the police in Canada are waiting for him. And Decker is like, hold on, let me talk to him. I know how to talk to him. Decker walks up and starts to talk to him and then is like, he's got a gun, dives out of the way so that (laughs) all, all of the police in Canada will fire all of the bullets in Canada into this man. Um, no, again, yeah. I did not. I did not question that at all. Yeah, well, then I mean, I was like, like, fuck. All I thought was like, damn, Decker, you devious. Well, the one cop was like, hey, stop it. Like the the one black cop was like, hey, guys, stop, stop. stop. Yeah, Captain Captain Panaka. So, yeah, Captain Panaka is like, you guys. <laughs> and meanwhile, fucking Boone is like, you know, jerking around as like eight million bullets pierces his flesh, and then, um, and then they go to his body. <laughs> And Captain Panaka is like, where's the gun? And <laughs> David Cronenberg's like, my bad. He reached no, for his pocket. Again, that is a yeah. moment of existentially yeah. terrifying because that is a thing that can 
and has held up in court. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It'll yeah. Well, yeah. times to justify a like state sponsored murder. Which is yeah. why the, the the dynamic between David Cronenberg and Captain Pinocchio <laughs> are is so palpable, even though I don't it's such Hannibal and Jack Crawford energy. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Oh my yeah, his, god. I, his name is Detective Joyce. Detective um, Joyce, my my mistake. No, no, no. It's he's Captain Pinocchio in okay. Star Wars. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Captain yeah. from Star Wars detect- and David Cronenberg from that's Detective Captain Pinocchio from Star Wars. Yes, Detective. <laughs> I'm sorry. Detective Captain Pinocchio oh, from Star no, Wars. No. He Joyce. didn't go to detective school for nothing. <laughs> It went yeah. so so with Captain Panaka is like a thing. I remember after episode one had come out and I had seen it, I was a child at the time. They used to have those tough acting Panactin uh, <laughs> uh, commercials. So I would, yeah. in my head, think like tough acting Panaka. That's and, good. Right? With John Madden, the boom. Tough yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> remember those commercials? Right, yeah. we got turned. We got turned Captain Panaka into like into like just a total badass in the extended materials. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is. A, he's actually a a detective. Um, we all got. We, we all got to pick. You promise. If we ever get to pitch any Star Wars content, we all got to pitch some Captain Panaka material. I I was there before this conversation, and I'm yeah, going to be so there after in- it. I'll draw it. A secret agent. Yes. Yeah, and then he teams up with like it's like a Hannibal thing, but like Space Cronenberg is there, and they have Space Cronenberg <laughs> adventures. Um, Space Cronenberg. Yeah. So Space Cronenberg a... implies that our Cronenberg is Earth Cronenberg, and I refuse to believe that. It's called Event Horizon. Anyway, so <laughs> so, so we now have uh, the hospital interlude. They take Boone's body to the hospital, and they pull a lot of bullets out of him and make his. Uh, <laughs> this is what she said they ask they ask how she's related to him and she goes i'm his lover to the doctor and i was like no no don't do that just girlfriend will be sufficient yeah i'm yeah, wondering if, as a doctor if someone told me i'm their lover do i go okay no i'm absolutely not letting you see the body or do you go fucking fine i can't deal with this i think it's yeah. i think it's the latter in this case because they're like yeah this dude was shot up by police because he was a, a a killer, maybe? Due process Does is completely out assume, the window and so is his body. Does he assume that she's there to have sex with Is he just like, eh, you see one corpse fucker, you've seen them all? It also comes off very like, he was really straight, everyone. I just want you all <laughs> to know that. Or maybe like, he was the only person who ever did Lingus for her. She's like... <laughs> Next level. Yes. yes, he's so straight. Please do not. Please <laughs> ignore how he penetrates Decker to death in this movie. Oh my god! With the ace of I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have never heard that word pronounced Connie Lingus before. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we say it in California. <laughs> you always made me spit coffee all over the place when that happened. I said kind of um, Lingus. <laughs> you, you. There was definitely. A pause. He said, Connie Lingus. And I was like, this bit copy everywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm baby. imagining the Instagram, like the sex positive Instagram influencer named Connie, who would call it that. Connie Lingus <laughs> is actually pictured. Uh, she is a member of the breed. Um, I think I saw her down there. She might have had the, she might have been the one that had the, the fingers for a beard. 
Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I, I thought maybe she was the uh, the uh, Cenobite with the uh, throat thing. Oh yeah. Well, that. Uh, oh yeah. That's better. Uh, yeah. All right. So yes, they uh, all the all the people at the morgue decide to go for coffee at the same time. So apparently, Boone Kool Aid Man's out the window while they're gone into um, the sky, <laughs> into like this fucking like. We don't ever see this. We see like him starting to wake up. And they all come back in and like this window that's very high off the ground, not just like from a size of the hospital, but from a height of the room perspective is, is just broken. And not in a way that implies that like he went through it with his whole body, but that he like dolphin dove out this window. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, but that's the thing too. Okay, so he like fucking dolphin dove, like reverse candy man into the into the sky, into a fucking Renee Regret painting, like beautiful clouds and shit. And then I'm like, oh, and then he flew away into the stars and he will live on forever. And then and then he's back in the the morgue looking at Lori, and Lori's like, What? But it's and then the, the coroner's like, Well, somebody gosh darn sold the body, eh? I, I want to reiterate for everyone listening real quick. Keep in mind, everything that's being described is to the music of Danny Elfman. Yes. Please keep that in mind. Yeah, again, so they're like looking out the window. Entirely, it's not entirely clear if Danny Elfman has seen, has much idea of what movie he's actually scoring. No, I mean, he's just doing songs and hoping they've matched. You have two options for which Danny Elfman you want to hear in these different scenes, and he does both of them, which are <laughs> Uh, introduction to Batman the Animated Series, Danny Elfman, or uh, This is Halloween, Danny Elfman. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I think he's perfect for this movie, but it just, for some reason, there's like, I don't know, maybe they they fucked up the audio. I don't know, but they're like, they they look out the window and it's like, la 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 la. That's why I'm like, oh, and he's going to live forever in the stars. This is night brief. (laughs) 1990 is the year (laughs) uh yeah so this is extremely 1990 oh my god early 90s and it's not late 80s it's night breed baby i was in 1990 um and and it it looked and smelled exactly like this movie (laughs) what does this movie smell like 1990 a very this very I, I can definitely smell this bar that Lori then goes to from here. Um, she goes to this uh, country-ass bar on the way to Midian um, and just, like, picks up a random woman um, who was is, who is drinking there. She just starts telling her entire story. And um, This subplot was wild. Like, it goes nowhere. Sherylan picks her up. Let's be clear. Yeah. Sherylan is like, I'm going to sit here and tell you all about life. And I'm I am now your advocate. Look, and maybe it's just me feeling that deadline crunch, but I kind of and for a moment I envied Cheryl Ann's life where she's like, I got nothing going on. I'll drive a stranger to a cemetery. And fuck <laughs> how, else, how else are you gonna spend a Tuesday? I mean, if David Cronenberg bought me a drink, I mean, if that age David Cronenberg bought me a drink and was like, eh, actually, I don't know. I don't think I well, could. Well, hold on. Was the implication that the guy like was romancing was David Cronenberg? And yeah, she, absolutely. 
there was okay. absolutely because she was like the next morning he, she's like i fucked this guy and i'm also, hung over and then Lori's like that's neat let's go to the cemetery okay. and then later on she's like hey it's the guy i fucked and it's david krennenberg yeah, okay apparently like, her, this job, movie's her so idea goddamn... of sophisticated is a man who has a suit that's two sizes too large for him like this God, movie's yeah. so bonkers i just accepted at face value it's like wow this movie's spending a shitload of time like, detailing cheryl ann's off-screen like one night whirlwind romance apparently this part initially was supposed to be like rock star susie quattro was supposed to be playing this part oh. and like when they what? started like cutting back on a bunch of stuff going into this, like they, uh, you know, they omitted the larger role that was supposed to be for her. And I guess just, you know, found this, this other actress to do the part um, rather than, I guess, you know, hiring her to, I guess, do what was supposed to be a larger part. But there's a lot of like stuff yeah. out there about, oh, they omitted Susie Quattro from this movie. And there's a lot of Clive Berger saying, oh no, she was never actually in the movie. Like she was supposed to be in the movie. And then it just didn't happen. Yeah. It's like, because uh, this movie was clearly supposed to be like a full season of a TV show. With oh, all yeah. The stuff that they were yeah, like, oh, we have to do that. I'm excited to hear that it's being made as a TV show because there's just too much story for it to work as a movie. Like, and, there's yeah. too much story. And for as much as this is a Clive Barker story through and through, he's not totally the best person. Folks, yes. I'm just going to say right now, folks, listeners, friends, horrible. This film is hours long, two whole hours. And we're not talking about Avengers two hours. Like, you notice that this movie is two yeah. hours long. Yeah, um, I think it's it's so weird that this movie feels too long, but also feels way under uh explored well, in a lot it, of ways yeah i think yeah. it just speaks to how overstuffed this movie is with ideas and concepts and yeah. again to clive barker's credit this movie is bursting at the seams with imagination but it is also very much bursting at the seams and seams are best unburst yeah sure and unless to, it's with to, tentacles to invoke a, a comparison which might not be favorable i'm kind of reminded of craft legacy where like yeah. they set up what seemed like a season worth of stuff in the first like hour of the film and then craft legacy balks and tries to wrap it all up in half an hour and it doesn't work and this movie yeah. is like no we're gonna make it two full hours and just leave all of the dangling plot threads on the table like there's never going to be a sequel to this movie but we don't care like all of david cronenberg's knives in his crazy bubble room all on the table um so that m- meanwhile while laurie and Question. cheryl ann oh how did how did cronenberg see through that mask he needs such thick prescription glasses and that mask is so tight <laughs> how did he see it's anything very, it's a very very loose weave i mean it's like burlap once you have it up there you can like and he's, he's also got, like psychic. buttons over the eyes too so i don't know he's got buttons over the eyes and you you should have had to have like Enos glasses. Those are very thick prescription glasses. He yeah. should have been stumbling around like Ghostface. He but, is oh, stumblier. God, yeah. He listen. David Cronenberg has special powers where he can sense any flesh. That's why he's such a master of venerial horror. <laughs> and, and that mask uh, again, like it's it's 
one of the single best props in this entire movie. It's right? such a scary mask. I love yeah. I love the mask. Yeah. Again, the first scene where it's just him and again, like you don't even know that it's a human. It's just like sack boy from Little Big Planet, but yeah. sack man, like yeah, knife wielding sack man. Sack man now. <laughs> like it's it's legitimately really scary. <laughs> and it has like that fucked up mouth. There was if you told me that you were reading a comic with Sackman in it, this is not what I would envision. I'm sorry. Well, I no, mean, but isn't it also Turnover. way better than what you're probably envisioning? Oh, yes. Much yes. Add- <laughs> at least way less offensive. Okay, so while Lori is is hanging out with Cheryl Lann at the at the bar in a saloon. Ooh. Um Aaron Canadian is getting stop. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Boone is getting inducted into Monsters Anonymous, um, and we see hot porcupine girl. We see um, what's his name? What's the what's the character's name? Leisenberger or whatever the fuck. Man. Dirk. Dirk. The Dirk Leisenberger. Doug Bradley's character. The- Doug Bradley's character and his yeah. sub, who is played. The wild, the wild thing about this is that everybody else has weird monstery names, like the. The um, porcupine girl is named Shuna Sassy, and yeah. the the blue demony guy is named Devil Lude. We've got Baphomet. We got a lot of weird shit. But then he's got Dirk like Dirk Lylesburg. They have Dirk Lylesburg. Rachel Dirk Lylesburg sounds like the name of a cartoon British walrus. Yeah, <laughs> I was or like say, a Dirk, Dirk Lylesburg monster attorney. You know? Yeah, yeah. And he's, I mean, I guess he is a monster attorney if you think about it, because he's always going off about like what the laws are down in. See, that's Ivory the problem town. is you're thinking about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> his boyfriend, Onaka, has a dog. Dirk, Dirk Lylesberg, character voiced by guest star Matthew Tennant or David Tennant. David Tennant, where did you read that? No, I'm just saying that's what this character sounds like. Oh, yeah. The the name just sounds like guest star David Tennant. Right. Yes. Um, Does Mac tonight have a name? I didn't catch his name. It's very difficult to tell what who who is who unless you know what you're looking for. We've gotten Mac tonight's the guy that has a head like a moon. Oh, apparently Tommy. Apparently uh, Tommy Tummy Tentacles does have a name and it's Leroy Gom. It's Tommy Tummy Tentacles at this rate. Tommy Tentacles. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, tonight is Kinski. You might as well just call him Kinky and just fucking beat her, not beat around the anyway. Um, but yeah, Onaka has a dog and it's cute. I'm very happy that the only dog that gets attacked in this movie is already. Is there a dad? Is there a yes? Uh, Decker cuts the head off of a taxidermy dog. Oh, yes, when he um is threatening the store clerk who's just like. Um, the night breeds friendly human folk. I bring them I'm beef old. jerky. I'm here from. I came out of Beyond Thunderdome, and here's my house full of dolls. Hey, here you ordered some plot exposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this whole section is just lousy with plot exposition. <laughs> yeah, so then also, yeah, this is where like Dirk Lylesburg gives the entire history of the night breed. And he's just like, yeah, we're the last survivors of the tribes of the moon, races of people that humans have hunted to near extinction. They kind of seem like monsters. They, live, they now live here 
in the center of like cell phone signal hell uh, because Baphomet built them a Super Mario Brothers underground level to yeah, live in. This movie is like, ah, oh, there's so few of us, but also we can just bite whoever and turn whoever into Nightbreed. For yeah. real though, like for real though, Scorpion and Shang Tsung are there. Like they, they're there. Oh no, uh, Goro no. is probably there. I, I didn't see like Goro. But I, f- I figure he's in the background at some point. There was a part with like a fucking leopard headed chick writing it. Minion is absolutely yeah. the same weird bridge ladder dimension that Scorpion threw Johnny Cage into. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And then there are scorpions everywhere. Like this is Scorpion's land. You, and then, okay, well, those are just your classic Calgary scorpions. You got to watch out for those. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those classic yeah. Canadian scorpions well, that are, you know, where, yeah. Wolverine is all about Cal- it's that Calgary and microclimate. <laughs> I should mention that here that this this exposition is not given to Boone. This exposition is given to Lori, who has come with, uh, has been driven by Cheryl Ann to the cemetery, and she finds a weird, fucked up cat, gulfling, podling on the ground, and the hot lady is like, "Give me! I am I am not a vampire, but give me the the cat." And then she's like, "Okay." And then Lysenberger is like, "By the way, we're the night breed." fuck off and she's like how about no nobody can know about us which is why i will tell you our entire history yeah you can can never go against the law what happens if we go against the law no consequences of any kind i'm disappointed like he was so like the whole time liceberg was just doing like that we run on a susan collins system over here girl (laughs) in monster world please we we furrow our brows so hard at you Oh, yeah. Boone, stop making a mockery of our ancient monster laws. <laughs> the rest of their jobs primarily seem to be making scary faces at people as they try to descend to this weird uh, circular underground kingdom of theirs uh, as they, they do it. Uh, they called her Kristen Schaal in the credits here. Uh, but um, <laughs> she's looking for her boyfriend who has gone down to see Baphomet um, who is down at the bottom of this somewhere? Um, who his transformation to a monster is that he gets cool-looking facial scars, loses his shirt, and finds sunglasses. It's got like um, a bunch of spirally shit all over him, and then he gets like, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer prosthetic on his face. <laughs> I'm a monster, a horrible, fuckable monster. At least Palakine was like very monstrous and still and Shasa Banaka or whatever her name is. Yeah. Um, both mean, of them I, were very fuckable porcupines. I loved like uh, Narcissa's design, like this remnants of a human face on like what looked like this snake skin body, like demon yeah. body of his. Yeah. Like, that was very cool. And again, and, and like, again, it sells that this is like kind of like a xenobite like society. And then he's just a wacky fucking sidekick. That's but, the thing. Go ahead, please. Oh, I, I was just going to say, and on top of that, like, this is, you know, we're really getting a sense of how these costumes are. And for the most part, they're very good. But the more we see of, like, Midian, like, it's like the sets are not as good as the costumes. It feels like there's, like, a bit of a disparity yeah. that just keeps getting more and more 
obvious I, as the movie progresses. I thought for sure that Midian, that like the cemetery was the gateway to Midian, that Midian was a whole like world yeah. around yeah, like of monsters and shadows and stuff. Not that it was literally underneath this hollow ass like <laughs> cemetery. Yeah, it was yeah. physically it, and that was it. The the cemetery when there was a bunch of like cutaways through the soil with like very traditional Canadian mummies in the very <laughs> traditional Canadian coffins. Um, but yeah, so like I I have to say that we talk about the the costumes and how amazing they are and they are fucking amazing and also the ideas for these costumes like any other movie that or anyone else than clive barker would be like okay this one's and this one's based on a blah 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 and that one's based on a blah 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 and that one's based on a blah blah blah. where this one's like okay this guy has faces for nipples and also for face and also this dude is just a bunch of guts like on the ground (laughs) and this person has a moon head and that person has like a finger beard like it's really, really creative and cool. we have a hot cool. porcupine chick. Yeah. And then we also have a lady who is like a, almost like a gypsy stereotype with a unibrow, but also just has random vampire powers. Like she, she turns into mist and uh, can creep through walls and knock people out with her mist and stuff. But, and okay. Oh, Dirk Lysolberg. Yeah, and as, as, we get, as we get to the bottom of this, we learn that there is like a room Wild. full of Nightbreed who are too crazy and too scary to let out. These berserkers. The berserkers. And then below the berserkers is where Baphomet is. It is unclear whether Baphomet is living or a statue or both. Uh, this, at this point, and will only become less clear as the, the movie goes on. This yeah. movie's relationship with its mythology is so fucking stop and start. Like an hour forty into this twenty minute movie, and we two hour movie, and we learn <laughs> there's a prophecy. Yeah, yeah. we get a, we get Boone as the chosen one. An hour forty into this film. <laughs> The one thing I want to ask about this scene Insane. where like so they tell him that he can't like so they he takes this oath that he's never going to go up never see the sun never rejoin natural society and then his girlfriend shows up 10 minutes later and he's like guys I no, gotta go up there not minutes second yeah. seconds yeah. later and they're like not even a full it. minute passes he's, they're like you can't do it there's no way and then they're like, well, maybe you could go talk to Baphomet about it. Uh, but I guess nobody else survives going down there for some reason. Um, even though we're not demons, we're just strange people from different tribes that live in this place. But you should go talk to Baphomet. It is unclear. Like, she comes down to find him there. It is unclear what he is asking of Baphomet whatsoever. Because it's like, what do you want? Like, do you want to leave? Well, they're threatening to kick you out already. Do you want to stay? Do you want her to stay underground in the weird caverns with you? I don't think she'd be into that. Like, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too, is that he's already been inducted with the blood of Baphomet. So, like, Dirk Leisenberg or, like, put his hand in the blood. Dirk Leisenberg. Dirk- I think I pronounced his name slightly different every single time. Me, too. <laughs> but Dirk Hagenberger puts his hand in... 
the blood of Baphomet and then puts it on the exposed chest of uh, Mr. Aaron Boone and it heals him and he's beautiful again. Um, and not gay. So definitely straight. <laughs> so straight. Um, Nothing gay going on here. Yeah, just a couple every... of guys washing each other in the blood of Baphomet. Yeah, just some couple guys being Look, dudes. it's not like this movie ends with him like Im- impaling another man and then doing anything he can to reject the advances of a woman. Listen, we ought to we'll we'll talk about that part because yeah, the word the, impale we're, is we're definitely going to talk about both of penetrate. those sections. Uh, is that a better word? Uh, I would say thrust would okay, be okay. We're not there. Okay, okay, my bad. <laughs> We're not to that yet. <laughs> but so they, I have to say, Lori does berserkers. eventually find him. Okay, what about the berserkers? They're based on tardigrades. They're obviously based on tar- tardigrades before it was cool. Okay. And That's so cool. Lori does find him and they decide or agree to leave. She, He is apparently fine with the sun, even though everybody else is not. Cool. None of he the just, rules are clear. All of the rules are like, eye, oh, eye the issues. sun is bad for them sometimes for some of them like there, some of them can be killed with guns and stuff like some that. some of them can't like yep. there's not a single hard and fast fucking rule about the night breed that this movie can goddamn stick to just it, like how the queer community is a large umbrella yeah yeah tribes of the moon don't exactly. you fucking try to queer spin <laughs> the shoddy ass world building <laughs> <laughs> look the movie is still trying to figure out its own identity okay yeah so they're that's very that's very true the... it, it is a very genre fluid film yes, yes. It is. <laughs> it's complex so the, they go back to Lori's shitty hotel which i think may be the shitty hotel from blood and donuts with all the rats in it i'm not sure it's but nicer that... than that hotel Decker is the one hotel nice, in all of Canada, don't you know? <laughs> Decker has I, set up a I nice, assume. Uh, a nice decorative like uh, display of dead bodies in the room next door, including a card pyramid. Which I don't. It's unclear whether the guys were building that or whether Decker killed everybody and then built a card pyramid in the middle of it. Uh, I like to picture the second one. That really seems. I do too. Oh yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to imagine. Here's what I like to imagine. I like to imagine. Uh, the hotel guests built the house of cards. It came down while Decker was doing the old stabby stab, and then it bothered him so much that he put it back up. Yeah, but then he took the ace of spades and he put it on, or ace of hearts, and put it on his knife, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't quite clear how that card got stabbed. long knives. Yeah. yeah he's, he really likes some long knives. I mean, well, I think he be... watched Halloween and he's like, God damn it, I'm going to have a knife that really impales someone against a wall. Yeah, I think None he... of these short knife bullshit. Yeah. He's I mean, he, also he's wearing the mask. He's definitely carrying swords that have knife handles. Like, it looks like he has the largest knife block in the <laughs> world back at home. <laughs> now, do you think these were props or do you think Cronenberg just brought all these from Oh, home? no. Cronenberg had them with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He was originally supposed to beat people to death, and he was like, "You know what? I've got some. I've got some stuff in my trunk. Hold on." Hey, Clive, um, you want some more phalluses? I've got so, phalluses up the wazoo. Because David Cronenberg's <laughs> Canadian, you see, so now he gets Canadian accent. There you go. <laughs> Lots of phalluses, eh? I got um, a lot of phalluses. Uh, uh, want some vaginas? Yeah, so, 
So they find the they find the dead hillbillies next door, at which point they realize that it's a setup and the Canadian special forces have been called on them because somebody forgot to tell the uh, head police guy that the guy that they arrested or no, that, oh, that still hasn't happened. Uh, hold on. They arrest him uh, at the hotel, take him in with all their Canadian special forces on their mooses and everything. Um, <laughs> and uh, then they... They haul him back and lock him up next to, in, in the cell next to the drunk priest, who is apparently just there because he's you know serving out time in the drunk drunk tank. Uh, I guess the, this okay. priest is introduced so late and ends up only existing to serve as a weird sequel hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's like, like this. <laughs> he adds nothing to this film. <laughs> he's just asking to be there. Like he's like, hey, can I be part of your movie? Hey, can this I be is, part of again, this? Again, like, oh, this is again another character where I'm like, yeah, you would have worked as a character that could have carried some C plots during episodes of like an eight to ten episode television season. Yeah. yeah. As is, you're real useless and you come the fuck out of nowhere. Yeah, he's in so he's in the cell next. He's like, so this is Rare for Nashbury, and he's in the cell next to uh next to boone aaron next to burn yeah. i kept wanting to call him dirk because he's more of a dirk than dirk and, i think and then the the wild thing to me is they then go have a press conference the the chief of police of this uh little town goes to have a press conference with a, a very large number of press people where he is then informed that the guy he's arrested has already been killed once and uh is is still on the loose somehow to which he reacts very negatively He's like, what do you mean this guy is the same guy that was killing people in another town and was arrested and then killed? Uh, and then I have arrested him again. That doesn't seem right. I, and I David Cronenberg's like, here. shrug, whoops. And then yeah. Um, yeah. and then they just suddenly decide that the Nightbreed are real. We have, we have, have we um, passed our uh, Well, it does seem like Mad that Max this is guy. something, it does seem like that once we get to the local cops, that this is something that's at least vaguely known about in the area. Yeah. Like, it seems like, like this was... It's like a local legend kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This seems like an authority figure coming and being like, hey, that thing you've always that you've always been telling stories about what's around, like, yeah, it's fucking real, and we're going to go blow it the fuck up. Yeah, and this so. entire town, like, first of all, there's some full metal jacket shit going on with these cops, like, there's the, the the sheriff who's got like a big cigar and he's like, yeah, I love the smell of Nightbreed in the morning. And then like there's his uh, his lieutenant, I guess, who just loves licking garrote wires, which is like these cops are so evil. They're average police officers, I guess. I don't know. They're yeah, so I mean, have no metaphor. They're, they're just I was like, yeah, that's why I was like, oh, yeah, this was supposed to be all in cops Canada. are bastards, but. It, and in heart and they're usually useless in horror movies but these might be the most bastardy of all horror movie cops these cops are effective at what they're trying to do which is be evil it's these guys in final purge like, i mean these guys yeah. are yeah. attempting the shit out of this genocide yeah, no, and they, they straight up very little provocation to start committing some genocide. Not to get too political, yeah. but oh wait, yes, political. That's the point of this fucking podcast. Yeah, it's like it takes zero seconds for every guy, every person, not even just dudes, like every person in this town with a hat 
is like, I'm going to bring my gun and my truck and we're going to go shoot a bunch of women and children in a cemetery. <laughs> like, but they're nobody... not women and children because they're, you know, night they're part of the out group. They're yeah, not but... like us. Sure. But like, <laughs> Through all that smoke, how can you tell? Honestly, you don't because they end up shooting themselves a bunch. Like that's literally happens. They do. The police officer, the the police chief, or whatever he is, does decide to go ahead and recruit the uh, priest as sort of an afterthought. He is like, "Hey, you, you're religious, and these are demons, I guess. Uh, grab some Bibles and maybe some holy water. Do you have? <laughs> do priests have guns? I don't remember." It doesn't make a lick of goddamn sense, except that he is like, the script says we need you here for the sequel hook. So come on so I can get you to that. Yeah. And I I do like how the cops try to nag uh, David Cronenberg and they're like, here's the baby gun for babies. And David Cronenberg's like, (laughs) no, I use knives because I'm not a fucking coward like you. Um, And then he proceeds to kill the only character of color. And the only good, the only reasonably good cop in the whole. The only yeah. reasonable person yes. in this movie. So, well, again, not sure how great a cop he was. They spent all that time with Jacker being like, "Yep, everything's normal here. Nothing weird about this guy." Well, I He's think, certainly not a good detective. Yeah. Detective. Yes. But he did have like <laughs> reasonable thoughts and things to say, unlike That's most true. of the other characters in on screen. Yeah. So, well, again, well, this cop who beat uh, Boone in the prison is immediately like what a marginalized people i can genocide get me the flamethrowers and claymores and trip mines and grenades like yeah this is like you said this is some real fucking full metal jacket shit in goddamn rural calgary yes yeah and they blow up a lot of sets that look nothing like that cemetery. Let me tell you what. <laughs> Honestly, so much of the last act is just like explosions. Like, I can't believe this movie made me bored of cemetery explosions. Yeah. yeah. While, yeah. while the podunk army has gone off to uh, kill the marginalized people. Uh, meanwhile, sexy unibrow and peeled face guy uh, <laughs> recruit Lori to go break Boone out of prison. Uh, it turns out they don't need anybody but sexy unibrow as she like mists through the door lock and then uh, kisses a man to death. Um, she has the power of murder mist, murder mist, and I don't understand how it works, but it sure is awesome. Don't forget the other power that she has. Mist, kisses the man and then he breathes mist for a while and goes unconscious. I don't Remember know if any part of her is still in him. or I assumed that was her using smoke to just burn him's organs from the inside, but maybe mm-hmm. I was just going with a macabre interpretation. First of all, she has two other powers, righty and lefty. That's her. She has nice tits. Um, very beautiful woman. And then that is enough for this cop to be like, oh, wait. Yes, you can kiss me with your soul sucking. I, I feel like it was a soul extraction kind of thing. Yeah. Like took his took his soul out of his mouth. I don't know. It was a cool effect. She um, sucked his biz. Yeah. Sucked biz. No, it was it was one better, better. She but, sucked his business. Suck suck a business. Yeah. I don't know. Suck a this, business. This not, that's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> um, and then they like bring Lori into the into the they like open up the cell and they're like. All right, here, Lori, uh, there's Boone. You can decide whether you like his monstrous or, or not. And then she's like, sh- they like go to town 
and fucking uh narcissa lights up a cigarette and he's like well i guess they're just gonna fuck so i'm gonna sit here and wait (laughs) and then after a moment he's like actually you know what we don't have time for you to fuck can you guys like wrap it up so we can go back and stop the genocide i i feel like that moment was narcissa being the compromised queerness being like okay we can go full horny and we can see boone doing stuff but he's got to be doing it with a lady we can do this it's a compromise for some sexy boone oh that lady sure is a lady all right i'm out i can't do this thought i could do this we're out let's go let's go (laughs) yeah that that doesn't sound inaccurate to me Um, yeah yeah and meanwhile the podunk army has started by blowing up the graveyard uh, they start by like trip mining the graveyard, um, which and... I gotta say, putting landmines in a cemetery just seems like a real short sighted. Yeah, uh, with all of the move. giant rocks around. Then again, landmines in general are very short sighted uh, tactic, but especially in a graveyard. Also, their timing is shit because they only like get there like mid afternoon, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna light it up," and then minutes later the sun goes down like right after they wasted a lot of time getting wings and beer first (laughs) oh yeah and apparently like they know enough that they can they could ignite this entire graveyard but they don't know that the night breeze so much fire they have fucking nate like they must have goddamn napalm for how much fire there is yeah but then they don't think about the night breed being powerful at night Except isn't there one person that's just, they've even said like the sun, it's the best weapon we have. And someone's like, until it goes away. And they're like, that's what, yeah. To Captain that's Panaka. why we're only going to fight them during that time. Like what, what the fuck is this? What are you oh, doing? Oh yeah. The, P- Captain Panaka kills Onaka or no, he doesn't kill him. The cops do yeah. without fucking batting an eye. And then like Captain he explodes Panaka's like, from sun. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I think he exploded like, from the sun. Like I was watching it happen for like five minutes while you guys were like kicking him. Like like goddamn John Carpenter's vampires. Like he explodes from sun. Oh god, um, that movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So they they immediately run in and start blowing up and killing people. To his credit, drunk priest who has done nothing of interest to this point is like, hey, I am anti actively murdering children. Could we maybe not do that? And that is a step too far for everybody else here. They don't want, uh, they don't want to deal with him anymore. He's um, harshing the genocide buzz. Yeah, and he also they also like um, use the f slur at him. Yeah, they do. Yeah, again, and they really cops. say she. He really leans into and says the entire word. Like, yeah. oh yeah. Again, I, don't know I cannot Canadian emphasize Canadian enough or... that this movie's main message is what if the real monsters were the cops we met along the way? Yeah, th- I'm s- straight up like, OK, so the first half of this movie is plot question mark, period, question mark. And then the second half hour of this movie is this fucking graveyard exploding. Yes. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, this is this is what's happened. And people are running around and carrying David Cronenberg's like going after Lori and there's fire and people are getting dead and you know the the monsters all of these scary monsters we've seen this all the time are running around not fighting anybody until uh our our beloved white savior boone shows up runs in and is like hey you guys are monsters why don't you tear apart some fucking graves and start hitting people with them Uh, (laughs) he's like i'm gonna arm you we're gonna get armed with here's a coffin lids (laughs) i do not get like 
it is so wild. It's again, it's what I was talking about. It's like, is this a community of monsters and nightmares? Or are these the cuddly coward people that Boone has to white savior? Yes. The answer is yes. Sometimes the answer being yes. I know the the answer answer. is yes, but that doesn't make for a very satisfying story. Yes. Also, yes. Yeah. They all of them can guys. Why does Boone have the same character arc as the main character of Avatar? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, no, the main character of Avatar became the cat. Right, because he was straight and he was and Boone's trying to get away from perceived straightness. And Lori just keeps following him being like, nope, nope, I'm the straightness. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You can never get rid of the straightness, Boone. This is this is also where we finally get to see uh, hot porcupine lady actually use her uh, quills, which apparently this hot porcupine lady is poison. Because uh, she starts. I wanna love you, but I better people. not touch you. Uh, do. Uh, it's not just her lips. No. Her quills uh, are also venomous. Meanwhile, Decker is here to kill. Boy, it's an ivy kind. Decker has already <laughs> killed uh, the only the only other good cop is trying to kill Boone at this point. Um, they fight. Uh, Decker does manage to stab him all the way through, and then. Uh, Boone gives him a nice, friendly uh, knife hug. He goes ahead and uh, uses the knife that is already stuck through him and a playing card uh, to go ahead and uh, just go ahead and uh, is is impale the word we want to use? Okay. Penetrate. He thrust. Thrusts the knife that has impaled him and the ace of hearts into David Cronenberg and then does a little bit of like back and forth read into this scene whatever you like yeah and then he's like how about one last dance and this is after now yeah and then uh there was also like earlier way earlier in the movie um when uh boone um boone lets decker go at some point when he's there he's in the in the graveyard with narcissa and boone actually like catches decker but lets him go and uh narcissa's like I want his balls and it, and it, and his eyes. Anything that's spherical off of him, I want it. And Boone is like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you why are you assaulting my girlfriend? Oh, excuse me, love her." <laughs> um, and then you know, there's a point where I don't it, like labels except lover. Yeah, I love that one. Um, <laughs> me and me and Connie Lingus, but um, so. There's a there's a point where they stand off Narcissa and Decker and it's like super climactic and then Decker shows up and he's got Narcissa's head and he like took his head off and stuff. Sad, but um, is it because Narcissa again? We see him three times. One time he's a super scary man who slices off his own face. Next time he's just doing a little sexual assault that he then plays off as just a super casual. You know me, I'm just a prankster, bro. And then oh, they spent the shucks. rest of his appearance being like, you did a sexual, like, <laughs> what the fuck? And um, they're like, no, it's cool. I'm a wacky sidekick now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't sad to see him go. I was like, I was just kind of sad that I didn't get to see how, you know? Sure. I It um, would have been nice because I imagine he would have kept talking for like a solid minute after having his head cut off. <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah, so like, all the monsters take up arms, which includes actual real arms. Like some of them grow more arms, like the tummy tentacle man. And he, he actually gets the eyeballs. Yep. 
Um, my balls. Yeah. Uh, Boone, meanwhile, runs down to, ta- to have a, a chat with Baphomet, uh, who comes to life, does start talking, and his eyes open, and he's like, hey, Boone, you done fucked up. You got his whole place destroyed, but that's okay, because uh, shit always gets destroyed. So it's, it's your <laughs> job to the- take the rest of these guys and head out to go find another home. Also, this was the save me because I am out there somewhere and you've got to save me. This was the yeah. dictionary fucking definition of a white man failing upwards. Right? <laughs> like, hey, Boone, <laughs> you totally fucked it up, but you were, so, but it was all ordained by the cave paintings we introduced five minutes ago. It's true. Yeah, we're in the very beginning of the film, just not explained at all. <laughs> it's true. So you get to be in charge. Yeah, the prophecy, the prophecy is only revealed by Palakin, who's like, I didn't think that biting this dude was going to cause like the apocalypse, but apparently it did. Sexy pictures definitely me biting a dude. Yeah, that's a picture of me gaily biting, biting (laughs) this dude. That could have been any dude. I bite a lot of dudes. Maybe you got maybe. okay, maybe if they just fucked, then they would have avoided this whole problem. And like gotten rid of that tension, which is that the is tension. the lesson to take away from a lot of movies, I think. Yeah. Sorry. But they just fuck. Like if they just fuck, they would have avoided this whole problem. Yeah. I mean Lego Batman. The- <laughs> well, that's actually pretty much the theme of Lego Batman. That's not even tag that's the not theme even of almost every Batman. Batman. That's fair. Yeah. That's true. Batman that's is really pretty much just the text of in between Batman and Joker and Lego Batman. Yeah. Like, uh, yes, he also does get the name Cabal. He gets his name changed yeah. from Aaron Boone to Cabal. Which, who is that for? Who in the theater's going, like, oh my god, I read Clive Barker's original short story and that was the name from the short story? Holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. It's... Who, who was that? Who was that motherfucker in the theater? <laughs> that was the Mortal Kombat fan who just wanted more because not spelled right because they use a C in this movie. Yeah, only Johnny Cage is allowed to have C's in Mortal Kombat. Although well, there is a, he does there not is change a to the accent we get from Cabal. There is, but it's, K, it's with a K the way they love yeah. doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good. Well, yeah. It's like you are a Cabal and it's like that has no meaning. It's like <laughs> cool. It has. But it's also got some big like my name is Khan energy. And for the record, that was me doing Star Trek Into Darkness, not just saying my own last name. I knew no, we got gotcha. you. We okay. gotcha. <laughs> to the audience. <laughs> Although if you ever betray somebody, you've got a one-liner lined up already. <laughs> there you go. So one, two, three, not it. And what I've really got to do is just like pretend to be someone else so I can then dramatically reveal my identity as Khan. When you're <laughs> like, you know. oh, when uh, you're like, like Star Trek, like the Khan, mm, a Khan. The Khan of cons. <laughs> You're a um, rapper Akon? Um, oh, no. Um, Beacon? So then we have the the priest wanders down and sees Baphomet and drops his Bible and is like, oh, man, this is crazy. And then he spills the demon juice on himself and starts transforming. Uh, and apparently... This is like this has turned him into a, a villain now, which we will we'll find out at the he, end here. Yeah. yeah, he does not get the sexy CW Beastman transformation. Sort he of. Gets I the, mean, he gets the Hector Hammond transformation. 
I guess. Yeah. Like, he yeah. is pretty adjacent to Palakine in his look, except for the head. I mean, he's definitely more fuckable than Mac tonight. It depend- well, depending on who you are. It depends how you feel about moons. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'd fuck yeah. the moon. Yeah, and we discover most of the night breed make it to a bucolic barn uh, after Lori um, runs out with them and Boone's like, I gotta go help these people, my people, because I just fucked up everything for them. And she's like, but you can't leave me and I don't know how long you'll be gone. And he's like, sorry, babe, I gotta do it. She's like, no, it's cool. Then as soon as he turns around, she stabs herself. Um, (laughs) And he's like, I guess you gotta change me now or I'm gonna die. Which is definitely not a sign of an abusive relationship. It's wild. Uh, It's it's such an insane moment where I'm like, okay, honestly, 50-50 chances. Like, oh, we get now we are together as Nightbreed. Or I was like, man, there's decent chances this she just dies. It's like, well, <laughs> if I can't be together, then I stab myself. The end. I was like, yeah. I don't know what might, might happen. I'm at the edge of my seat, but not really because I'm not that invested in Lori. Sure. Lori lover. Yeah. And it's such an emotional manipulation death where she's like, well, fine. If I can't be brief with you, then I'm going to just die. I'll just die. And then. He's like, no, don't die, oh, Gloria. And she's like, didn't do something about it. It definitely, like, considering all the queer text and subtext of this movie, definitely feels like her going, well, if you're going to be gay, that must mean something's wrong with me, so I've got to kill myself. Which yep. um, yeah, does not feel good as a resolution to this movie and the way no. that the movie seems to think is okay. Yeah, no, no, no way you spin that Lori situation is is good, like and at all. Yeah, if, if Lori's yeah. like, you have to make me a night breed. I want to help these people. At that point, you can be like, okay, like bite her, chill, whatever. But then, like, yeah, how this is actually resolved is like, oh no, this is this is not good from any perspective. Yeah. Uh, so um... then we do have what is what feels like a post credit sequence from an MCU movie. Yeah, where where fucking priest is doing some weird shit outside and uh, trying to figure out how he's going to murder all the night breed as a uh, psychopathic police captain walks by and is like, hey, murder all the night breed. I'm into that. And the priest is like, actually, I'm going to pick you up with one hand and crush your entire face. Yep. Um, you you guy who beat me up earlier. Um, yeah. And I guess. I I guess he's I was glad the villain to see... for the sequel that never happens. Yeah. Though at least we got to see the cop die, but we also got to see Boone deliver a pretty epic just running, jumping drop kick to the Oh, his like flying captain. kick? Yeah. How yeah. great was that fucking yeah. drop kick? Amazing drop kick. Yeah, and they're like, just, very like just both very just close both quarters. feet boots out, bam. <laughs> they're having a very close quarters gonna stab you kind of fight. And Boone just he just fucking Johnny Cage's into that thing. Luke <laughs> Kang has that move. That's there's a Luke Kang move. Wild moves. Like there's one of the ones who just starts doing it. like flippy flips. Okay. Well, he did he did everybody's move. He doesn't do a bicycle combat. Kick. It's not no. He doesn't do the basic. Who's the monster? That, who's the monster that's just like ah explosions? I better do a flip. All of them? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, some very flippy monster. Yeah. 
Yeah. But, so that, but there was also the bit with the one uh, the one police officer with like the flamethrower that then trips, lights himself on fire, and then it blows up his uh, like flamethrower pack on his back. Yeah. And the end of the year. Him. That's yeah. I guarantee that's on that guy's demo reel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it would have been Clyde Barker just killed a man. He's like, I'll pay your family, but you have to burn to death. We have to do it for the sake of Nightbreed. Yeah, a lot of cop cars. A lot of that one cop car being on fire. Where the radio still works inside? Oh, that was a different car. Or was well, it? I'm pretty sure he was reaching into the car that was on fire. <laughs> Maybe, like, yeah, like, yeah. Actually, the car's yeah. on fire. It was just, they just had the one. It's like working rate. Everything else is on fire, but the radio still works. I mean, make the most of it, I guess. Because um, I think also the car that Narcissa drove that was all fucked up, which was also a British car, by the way, had the um, not even the cars are straight, but the um, oh, no, it's the return of Middle England. Uh, <laughs> I, and I, so I do feel like the, the real the automobile that's really of note is the uh, pickup truck that goes barreling through the cemetery into the ground and all the way down the uh, oh, hell yes. Yes. all the way yes. down the Temple of Doom Absolutely. to the bottom. Absolutely. They just dropped a full-on fucking truck on that set. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I hate this fucking truck. Do something. <laughs> I hate this fucking set. Like, Guys, Wait. it's it. We're done with this fucking set. It's fucking sucked. What do we do with it? Let's drop a fucking Ford on it. Yeah. I got and a Ford F-150. Drop that shit on the set. Um. Yeah, I think that the car, that the uh, Narcissus car was also... David Cronenberg's car when he showed up to kill Cheryl Ann and tire and then like pin her to the tree, which is weird. Like, I don't know how that happened, but maybe it's just I'm gonna say this movie cars. did not have the budget for multiple cars. Yeah, that's that's fair. I yeah, I think that's what's going on there. I mean, I'd like to think that that Narcissa stole David Cronenberg's car and then fucked it up on purpose because he hated David Cronenberg's character, which I also do, and I think that would be funnier. Um, but you know, alas. Oh, right. uh, <laughs> guys, is uh, is this movie feminist? No, no. It's I mean, no. You've got sexual assault. Lori gets like sexually assault, like or attempted sexual assault. Like she, her agency is just to emotionally trap Aaron in straightness like it is i mean we didn't talk very much by dying we didn't very much talk much about the coolness of miss nightbreed she was the only other one but aaron who seemed to have like bad actual badass powers and porcupine lady and porcupine lady but they were both okay their powers but were both very monster feminism is it monster feminist perhaps human feminist no yeah well there's something to be said because I was thinking about it because there's some characters like there are I could see that there are actors of color playing the the various monsters and stuff. And, you know, there's there's um, a huge variety there, but they're not human and they're definitely not supposed to be human. So if we're going to talk about representation, that's not representation. That's fantasy. Um, and, you know, when that gets when that goes awry, that's like hardcore exoticism, if not just straight up racism. Now, the nice thing about this movie is that it doesn't really lead into the racial aspects of the monsters. Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's, it's, um, 
a uh, um, a, a just a nice variety for variety's sake, but we don't really get any character development from any of the monsters that would give us any sort of idea about any kind of representation at all, other than just like they're monsters and and weird. And then the two monsters, the two female monsters that we have. Uh, I mean, there's the little girl Babette who really doesn't have a character. She's just a plot device. And then there's Rachel who is the sexy, I mean, she's sexy and her powers involve tits. Porcupine Lady is also sexy and her power also involves tits. So like when they are, when they're in attack mode, for the most part, their tits are out. So, you know, that's, I mean, uh, I mean, that's strong female character right there. um so that yeah and again they're not human so they're not really they're they're not representing anything but a monster um i mean i I don't know that the monster representation thing is one of the sort of endemic problems of this movie which is the monsters are definitely a stand-in for queer people and people of color in the same way that like mutants are in x-men um but it is kind of unclear in this film uh, whether the monsters really are evil and vile, they are, some of them are quite bitey at the very least. Um, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's too mixed. Like Again, it's the movie has just too many ideas and tones and the world building is too inconsistent that themes, the, this movie is in such a rush to cram everything it can into it that it's impossible mm-hmm. to really derive a clear message or theme because the movie is constantly stumbling over its own feet. In terms of the feminism and any anything else than like the message about queerness, because yeah. I, I feel like the queerness is pretty there. And well, no, you know, even like what Jeremy was saying, like, oh, the monsters are queer, but the movie doesn't know what these monsters are exactly or how it wants to portray them. So that muddles your message. Oh, Yeah. Totally, yeah, so, but I mean, we have like you know, Mist Woman who is uh, invariably good throughout the movie. She is a yeah. good person. She is taking care of her kid for the most part. That's her motivation. Um, but then you have you know your your favorite guy Palakin or whatever his name is, who is mm. uh, at the very least uh, really into biting people. Yes, um, he's, a, then, like, he's a rough. When boy. we get down into the tunnels, you have like the berserkers. Who apparently are just too monstrous to be let out of their cage. Yeah. Like, and they're... again, like the the most concise exposition we get is either they are tribes of the moon, which uh, that doesn't honestly help me very much, <laughs> or yeah. Narcissa's speech all about how it's like you have to be a terrible, crazy, violent killer person, which seems to be supported since his whole plan to cut off his own face to get in works. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like, there's, and again, it's like Boone's, like Boone's queerness and coming out and gay community metaphors are so strong. But at the same time, he is just so, the plot just ties him so tightly to Lori. Mm-hmm. You can't get a clear read. You can't get like a real clear message or reading out of it. Yeah. And we don't get a good enough sense of Boone's life as a regular human to compare to his life as a nightbreed in the 10 seconds between taking his vow and abandoning his vow and then becoming their leader. Yeah, the, the conflict is messy. Um, and, Which, and not just talking about the amount of, of 
prosthetics, but okay. like <laughs> it's a television series. It's a season of TV's worth of story trying to be told in a movie, and it every every storyline just needs more room to breathe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, How did you uh, feel about the representation, Jim? Oh, I, yeah. yeah, no, I mean it's tough because like. I think for the most part, like, you know, with um, both the feminism and the, you know, representation or anything like that, it felt like it's, it wasn't there, but it also wasn't like harmful, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So like, it's like, yeah, it's, I'd say no, it wasn't really great at pulling that off, but it also wasn't terribly harmful. Yeah. It was more it, of like a neutral kind of, I like, oh, I don't think it did yeah. damage or set things back. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's kind of how I felt in, in terms of all that. And, and yeah, the queerness, I, I think especially for the time, was pretty solid and clear. You, yeah. You know, uh, like, you know, we were all alluding to some of it's a bit muddied, but, you know, a lot of times, in all fairness, most of the times people do these sort of metaphors, it gets a little muddied. Like even like, you know, X-Men and other things as examples, it's like, yeah, it gets kind of, Muddy. so i don't blame that much for that but but yeah it's, it's certainly muddied but it's you you can make out uh the that you know the queer elements from it. oh yeah yeah I, I think you know i mean x-men is a sort of good example i mean nightbreed exists as one movie in one time in 1990 yeah. x-men you know existed for uh throughout the 60s and 70s without a single black character or character of color really on the team until yeah. you know they did the the relaunch and you got a few characters of color. I mean, you only had, you know, until that point, one girl on the team, um, you know, and at that point you get a little bit of an expanded roster and then, you know, you don't have a, a, a canonically queer mutant until, you know, North Star, like in the, the late 90s, I think is, is when he finally comes out or maybe early 2000s. Um, and even then, like, you couldn't have chosen a character farther from the center of the X-Men if you tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. So um, the, the gay X-Men is their weird Canadian cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bringing it back to Canadians. Yeah. Well, I mean, this this movie is the weird Canadian cousins of, Sla- cousin of Slasher. This, Ginger yeah. Snaps, Blood and Donuts, fucking Canadian horror always ends up being the weirdest goddamn movies we watch on this podcast. I think my bloody Valentine is also a Canadian yeah. horror movie. I mean, there's and there at some point we'll get to some Cronenberg, and I mean that's all weird Canadian sci-fi. So <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love the fact that David Cronenberg, like I I I always forget that he's Canadian. Um, and you know, because like also I don't want to profile Canadians, but like all <laughs> <laughs> Um, and which is what I'm doing when I forget that David Cronenberg is Canadian because I'm like, dude, does all like there are there's like sex monsters everywhere, like sex you feel monsters way too troubled to be a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, like when I think sex monsters, I don't think Canada. I don't even think like you know even Montreal. I think about France certainly, but like even Montreal, I'm like, yeah, they're you know. I don't think that they're like super into sex monsters in Montreal. Toronto people are allowed to be horny too, Emily. <laughs> we, we have talked about how like when David Lynch makes uh, movies, like it's clear that there's something on his mind uh, yeah. in these. 
with with all of Cronenberg's movies, it's like, did you need to process something, David? Because this <laughs> is clearly an issue you were having. And I like... feel like the big thing from this movie we can take away is, is there something you need to tell us, Clive? Because we know. Yeah, I think I, th- I don't think. And it's OK. We love you. I, I think that Clive is trying to, Clive Barker. to say the say it as loud and proud as possible within the, the parameters of like Hollywood, you know, like this is what he what you can get away with. Just like with Fre- Freddy's Revenge. There's a lot I want to talk about with that movie when we get to it. But that movie is also like so incredibly gay, but it's not I don't know how there, there was never like a like the, the message just ended up there. Whereas Clive Barker's like, yes, just, <laughs> he's just like, he has a sign being like, help me. Subtext is for cowards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Do you want and- to talk at all about uh, mental and, and physical disability uh, as it relates to uh, how Clive Barker feels about psychiatrists in this movie? <laughs> I mean, the gaslighting. Yeah. I mean, the real deal gaslighting, like not this person lying to you the level of intense preparation that went into a deliberate destabilization of boone's reality who served decker's material ends like it is a, it is like the most horrific kind of abuse a psychologist like you could fear a psychologist would do to their patient yeah it's it's hannibal lecter status I, I mean i feel like this it's like yeah, because it falls into that same trope. Of, I mean, a lot of horror movies, a lot of fiction does of your delusions are real. And I, I think just the way it's framed in this movie is, you know, regressive and not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a great I mean, yeah, uh... I'm, not sh- I'm not convinced or sure if it's if it was like an in- intentional message to to try to get that across or if it was just his way of dealing with that your delusions are real kind of trope and just taking it in a weird extreme way that ends up not working in that sense i'm not well it is interesting it is interesting this like you're so i'm so used to seeing like oh your delusions are real and it's just already be like your delusions are real but that doesn't mean I can't then give you other delusions. Again, be yeah. manipulated into having other delusions which aren't real. Yeah. Well, there's something very with the gaslighting. There's something very um, implicit there with the whole idea of um, queerness as being like a you know someone being convinced that their queerness or their otherness is is a defect or just something that, or a flight of fancy, you know, it's like the extreme version of it, you know, it's just a phase or whatever. It's, it's um, a a really huge dismissal. Now, the fact that the way that Boone's uh, ideas about Midian and about the, the night breed and everything are framed, like we really don't know how genuine he feels about it. Like we don't know much about how he feels about it, how important it is to him, but it is obviously important because he drives out to this fucking, cemetery after dude like scrapes the skin off of his face but like and how how that dude got out of the hospital no one knows like suddenly he was just better but um well yeah at some point in between there he was uh tortured by decker as well which he yeah yeah because that's how decker got the info about going to the place 
And then he got more info from the Mad Max guy who he like wrapped in Christmas lights. So yes. um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. But the fact that like the, the whole delusions, like seeing the having the the quote unquote delusions be represented as just like his daydreams or his dreams yeah it, it's not a very it's not very clear messaging about yeah the breed other than like you know there's this fucking cool pride parade at the beginning of the movie where everyone's like dancing around in the woods and it's cool jeremy you have a really great comment here when we talk about like social justice in terms of uh racial justice um remember when there were only white people in the original x-men yeah i mean yeah this is it's a lot like that in that like it's you know they are a, the night breed are a metaphor for marginalized groups in which we largely do not represent those marginalized groups in this metaphor um mm-hmm. you know there are certain as certainly as emily said people of color uh under their monster suits but the you know night breed that we see who are human looking are all they're all white people so it's i don't know it it's kind of a wide miss there for me as far as you know when any kind of racial or social justice representation i mean we do have obviously you know as a, a works a bit better as a queer metaphor yeah do we do we feel like there's any uh salient commentary on class here there's the the fact that david cronenberg his character is so like um i mean he's defined as classy and then he has these like crazy corporate corporate offices and like his fucking sheer con from tailspin this is this is deep cut but like (laughs) his his crazy ass like knife room with the bubbles and you have that but then you also have all of the the gun toting like hillbillies essentially from this this is all the canadian hillbillies that are just like it's different we're gonna kill it uh yuck you know like it's you you have some some pretty extreme depiction on you know some some pretty extreme and 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 toxic depiction on both sides yeah which is definitely intentional uh for the story but and and but then we have a lot of our the the main characters blue collar worker you know cheryl ann is definitely a protagonist and then you have like all of the nightbreed which are marginal like essentially marginalized people and you know i don't think it, it does i don't think it was intended exactly to read this way but it does have this sense to me of like the cops breaking up a homeless camp you know which you know, I don't think was, I think it, there, there was definitely some of that involved, like in the imagery and in the, the situation, but it wasn't, that's not what the main message was about. But again, the messaging is not clear. Like it's not, um, it's really saying a thing. It's just sort of borrowing words from other sentences. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd agree with all that. I think it's like, it's kind of there, but it's like shallow. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's there. Like, <laughs> enough i guess to kind of count for something but not really much more than that. yeah i mean it it really it, it's more about people being shitty than like a particular yeah. class of people being shitty but you know it's more of like a, a normies versus weirdos kind of situation yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like which can be taken in any direction but the uh the vagueness of it i think just it doesn't help the message yeah um so i guess the only thing that leaves uh to ask is is guys would we recommend people check this movie out if they haven't seen it yeah 
It's a weird one, but if you're into all things uh, 80s-style fantasy, then yeah. Yeah, I mean, I lean towards recommending it. I feel like, you know, the Cronenberg scenes alone are... Mm -hmm. uh, are, are enough but um but yeah you're you're in for a, a solid two hours um again like costumes pretty great uh sets very wildly the music is jarring at times because it doesn't fit but it's danny elfman and there's so many times where you're like oh i kind of wish like maybe like tim burton was like directing this and had like those kind of sets yeah like, you had like tim burton at his height style sets i think that could have really added a lot to it but yeah it's um you know clive barker's not the best director i i wouldn't say it's a competently directed film but i wouldn't say the directing stands out um, yeah it's, it's interesting yeah. i think like as a director there's i i think there's a lot of people who excel with limited space and limited resources and and i think the same way could be said for a lot of people in comics but sure. um you know in hellraiser he has so little money and so little space to film anything that like it forces him to be focused and and do everything in there and it is much feels much more confidently directed than this one does where it's like he just has so much room and so many things he wants to put into it and it, it feels like it gets lost yeah yeah, I I love this movie. Um, I, well, I should say I have affection for this movie. Mm -hmm. um, I don't love this movie like I love something like Attack the Block, right? Where you're <laughs> that that's a good movie, and also like it's all you know, like all together, you're just like yeah. But this, I feel like this is a movie for illustrators, okay. um, or or character designers, where you're just like okay, so this is a this is a way to get visuals across. <laughs> You know, it's, it's so it's, funny you say that to me because I was just going to say, like, I feel like if you're a, a writer and you watch this movie, you're you ha will have an involuntary result of starting to come up with better versions of this movie. Yeah. Be yeah like, it's, oh, it's, there's it's, so many ideas here. There's so much stuff to use, so many things to do. And it's just not it just doesn't get there. But there are like four or five good movies in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 basically just like a Rubik's cube of of ideas that you know you're that it's engaging in that way where if you want to find stuff there you will and it will be cool. Um, a Rubik's cube or a puzzle box? Whoa! <laughs> he never. It's quite time opens, to duel. He never quite opens up the portal between dimensions. That's. That's why he had the Ace of Hearts on him. Like the the song from the Ace of Hearts from Motorfoot, Ace of Hearts. Uh, okay, I love uh, Motorfoot. That's a really great uh, sequel to the Land Before Time. Yeah, from okay. uh, Tommy Lifemaster. Uh, do we have any recommendations for people if they enjoy Nightbreed and they want more like it? Joe, do you have anything? Oh, geez, more like Nightbreed. Um, There's nothing like Nightbreed to go from here. It's it's tough. Um, oh, geez. I mean, yeah, I guess there's always more Clive Barker if you somehow missed, like, you know, Hellraiser or some other things. Um, God, but in like weird fantasy, like uh, actually, someone brought up uh, 
what was it we were talking about labyrinth earlier mm-hmm. like uh you know in, in terms of if you want something like that like it's like lighter it has musical numbers that might fit but i'm just thinking in terms of like other horror movies or like horror fantasy i mean i don't like maybe like it's like pan's labyrinth sounds like something that's almost in that like same realm it's a it's classier you know yeah. but but i i think that maybe something like that also would uh would fit totally yeah yeah i think that would definitely scratch a similar itch it's i mean it is uh infinitely better assembled uh, yeah. this movie <laughs> yeah yes like that that's a movie that you know every everything is in the right place in that movie oh yeah um well you can yeah. see the influence that this movie has on guillermo and like and hellraiser and stuff have on guillermo del toro like one of the the movies i would recommend would be hellboy and the golden army because of just all of the crazy shit like that's another kind of kitchen sink movie where you know we start out with the hellboy concept and then Guillermo del Toro is like I'm just gonna run way over here with this um this is my and D&D it, campaign yeah and it's much fucking cooler than like the first movie which is like I guess this is based sure. on the comics but they're so different you know hellboy 2 is so good yeah and like you don't like i remember when i first saw the hellboy trailer the hellboy golden army trailer and i was i thought it was like some fucking dristo Warden like forgotten realms shit and i'm like oh this is hellboy okay well cool i guess i hope this elf dude does shit because everything else that's happening is so fucking cool um they do scary elves much better than thor too uh-huh <laughs> yeah um yeah, so Guillermo del Toro is a really good uh, place to go in terms of just visual stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, like, one of the other things I recommend is the prophecy because it's kind of similar and it's it, it's atmospheric-ness and, you know, not nowhere near as gay. Well, <laughs> Aww. I mean, there's that bit where uh, Vigo, um, Vigo Mortensen as lucifer like grabs the male protagonist and is like feeling him up and is like this is how you're going to win the day and and he's like i don't know what's happening but i'm getting important information um and then uh uh psycho goreman just for good weird prosthetics and of course um anything that uh, i was gonna say the dark crystal um in terms of stuff that's like fucking scary and you know this movie is definitely more like in the body horror element but like the dark crystal is like if you just move it to just everyone being a monster yeah um and then like neverwhere and like all the neil gaiman stuff i feel like jim henson neil gaiman and clive barker very like weird triangle of uh fantasy horror sci-fi stuff yeah it all sort of intersects at weird places yeah this is a very fantasy horror element of nightbreed which i feel like the movie you know, like i that's one of the things that the movie just can't decide whether it wants to lean into yeah um because all those parts are so fucking cool um but yeah that's uh that's about where my or i would say with neil gaiman you know neverwhere specifically neverwhere american gods and the graveyard book um comics Ooh. and novels and only the first season of American Somewhere Gods. there are 25 issues of Nightbreed comics. I don't know if they're available anywhere <laughs> to like find, but there was a 25 issue series after the movie came out. Yes. Um, I, I would be well, very interested to read that. Uh, yeah. 
Ben, what have you got? So I mentioned Labyrinth earlier. Definitely that. Uh, maybe check out some other fun 80s fantasy like Legend or Willow. And yeah, I'm going to stick in the realm of them uh, fun 80s high fantasy. And oh, what the hey, why don't you treat yourself and have a little Conan? Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's nothing gay about Legend, right? Not at all. Oh, not my God. Or Conan. gay about Tom Cruise devil. spending a whole movie wearing no pants, chasing after super chiseled like Tim Curry. Yeah. Tim Curry is the buff-ass devil. Somebody's oh, my awakening. God. The buffest devil. That, that's another one of those movies where the director's cut ends up being so much better because they're like, oh, we put in, we put back, like, the plot into the movie and didn't just start with crazy, trippy imagery. I don't know. I think oh, that the original legend worked better <laughs> with the Tangerine Dream, yeah. um, or I should say the uh, the theatrical version of Legend. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, if you want a, a movie that is uh, as long as this and also <laughs> fantastical, what? I said nobody does. <laughs> well, there's the Alan Smithy version of Dune. <laughs> I guess you could check out the theatrical cut of this movie. We didn't. We watched the director's yeah, we, cut. We watched yes. the director's. Yeah, for, from what I can tell, having talked to people who who watched the theatrical cut, it's it's damn near incomprehensible. Um, this this one I think puts back. It sounds like puts back a lot of the plot. It sounds like the original cut really tried to focus on the slasher elements of this movie, which are the least interesting elements of this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Cronen Cronenberg is good, but like the slasher stuff is very to the side. Um, as far as my recommendations, um, I feel like Lost Boys is a really obvious recommendation and certainly something we've recommended oh, yes. a lot of times on the show already. Um, I do want to re- uh, mention the uh, there's a duo of Russian films, Nightwatch and Daywatch, which are sort of like Nightwatch especially is a lot like uh, an action version of this. Um, you know, where it's much more like propelled. It, it's somehow, it's like if Nightbreed and Underworld had a baby, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it would end up, you know, somewhere in there. Daywatch uh, moves a lot quicker to try and wrap things up, it feels like, but Nightwatch has a lot more, uh, a lot more going on in it. Um, and if, uh, if you enjoyed uh, David Cronenberg and the sort of body horror of this movie, uh, I recently watched Rabid and um, Rabid is a real weird movie and definitely um, worth checking out. I don't know how progressive it is. Um, a lot of a lot of David Cronenberg's movies have a lot of they, they open a lot of questions about how he feels about women that don't entirely get answered. Um, but this is uh, I like that better than, say, uh, The Brood which is a, a movie with some... Um, oh, my God. Oh, my God. with issues. That movie um, is a lot of issues. Yeah. Uh, but but Rabbit is definitely worth checking out. Um, that uh, that wraps it up for us. Joe, do you want to let people know where they can find you and your work online? Uh, sure. I am uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Joe Corallo. And, um, yeah, it's probably the easiest place to find me at i'm also on instagram at corallo joe but it, that's mostly just for people to tag me in spiders man uh, right. 
<laughs> and uh, Emily, where can people find you online? Uh, Mega Moth on Twitter, Tumblr, Patreon, uh, Mega underscore Moth on Instagram, and uh, MegaMoth.net um, on the on the interwebs. Awesome. So, and uh, awesome. Ben, what about yourself? You can find me uh, on Twitter at, at BenTheCon. Uh, you can find links to my work at BenConComics.com. And uh, the comics tie into Immortals Phoenix Rising from Great Beginnings uh, should be out now uh, when we're releasing this episode. And uh, as for me, you can find me empty eyed and screaming to the void on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. That's J R O M E 58. Or at uh, my, my work is at jeremywhitley.com, uh, where you can, you know, you can also order and uh, pre order a lot of stuff. Obviously, there's a lot of princeless and wasp and ponies and all that stuff out there the second volume of school for extraterrestrial girls is coming soon so you can pre-order that as well um which i do with jamie noguchi for paper cuts um and then as for the the podcast itself progressively horrified is on patreon at patreon.com slash progressively horrified we'd love it if you could give just a few dollars a month if you do at least five dollars you get your uh, episodes a week early plus you get our access to our uh, extra episodes that we've been doing about the Fast and the Furious series, uh, which are a lot of fun. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod, and our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm. And we would love it if wherever you're listening to this, you would please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That helps us uh, be found by more listeners. Well, thank you for everybody joining us and listening in. And thank you, Joe, so much for uh, bringing us Nightbreed. This was a lot of fun. Yes, oh, thank thanks. you. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I love uh, it. And as always, thank you, Emily and Ben. This has been a great time. And thank you to all of you out there listening and supporting. We really appreciate you. And until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode features Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Joe Corallo. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own, not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod. Or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com.